Welcome to the Delling Pod with me, James Dellingpole. And I know I always say I'm excited about this week's special guest, but I really am. I spotted this man on Twitter and so did lots of you. Lots of you said to me, oh my God, you've got to get this man on your podcast now. And um, normally I'm really slow about these things, but but today I've got my act together and I've got hold of Josh. Josh, welcome. Welcome to the to the to the pod, Delling Pod. Um, just what's your what's your Twitter handle? Where 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 did you put out this brilliant video you made? I actually didn't put it up on Twitter. My Twitter account has been pretty uh, inactive, I'd say, for a while. I used to be a, uh, a musician and stuff, and I had the Twitter from years and years back. Um, uh, but then I I basically released the video through Telegram. Um, oh, yes. I was using the Telegram app and I think somebody just got hold of it and shared it throughout Twitter. I kind of lost faith in Twitter a few years ago. It just seems to be this kind of delusional biosphere of, um, you know, radical lefties that just don't seem to come to terms with the reality of the world. You know, so I just I don't engage too often. But every now and again, I just poke my nose in. You know, it's, it's quite interesting because because like one of the things I like about having you on the podcast is that you are to all intents and purposes, a civilian. You know, normally, normally I, 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 I get my guests from this coterie of, of you know, vaguely prominent skeptics um, and dissidents of one kind or another. But you're, you're here representing real, real Britain. I think there are lots of people like you out there who are mightily pissed off with what's happened to their country. And we'll, we'll, we'll come to that at the moment. But even what you said about Twitter, so many people are going to be going, yeah, exactly. Because like you, I tend to prefer Telegram now. I like the fact that it was invented by the Ruskies. Something I, I, I find that reassuring somehow. <laughs> they seem to be less tainted than this whole corrupt. Isn't it bizarre that the Russians are now kind of almost less tainted than, than the whole corrupt Western, all the Western institutions have been, have been compromised in some way. And, and yeah, Telegram's good. Twitter, I use it out of habit, really. It's just, you know, I've got, mm. I've got something like, um, oh, I don't know, ne- nearly 50,000, I mean, less now, uh, followers from there. And it's kind of quite a useful vestigial communication tool. But yeah, I think we need to migrate elsewhere. Anyway, so you put up this video on Telegram. And uh, before yes. we go on, you must tell me about yourself. You say so you, you were a musician, what kind of, a rock musician? No, I mean, I, uh, I've had quite, um, uh, a, a, you know, a few roles in society. I, I left school um, straight out of secondary school and ended up joining the military. And I was in the military for about six years. Um, and then after that, I got a job naturally working in a gym, doing circuit training and things like that. Yeah. And I'd always wanted to uh, play an instrument. And I, at the time, was living in a place called Gosport on the south coast. I don't know if yeah. you know it, but yeah. uh, for lack of a for lack of a better term, it's, it was a shithole. And um, my I wanted to play the drums because I played the drums when I was younger. And uh, sort of my neighbours came around and said, if you play that drum kit anymore, I'm going to stab you. Um, so basically, I had to come up with something else. So I. I got a guitar and you could play guitar with headphones on and I started playing music and writing songs and uh, somebody said to me oh, I'll give you 150 quid if you come and play in my pub on Friday night and I was like oh, 150 quid yes please and uh, I thought well if I could get three or four of these then that would be great 
Um, and it just went from there, really. And it kind of skyrocketed. I ended up getting signed. Um, I, I have still now um, publishing uh, deals on various songs. One of my songs recently, an EDM track, has got six million, uh, 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 what do you call them, listens, I suppose, yeah. on, on Spotify, uh, which is really, uh, really quite an interesting thing. Because I wrote that song because I don't really like electronic dance music. <laughs> I sort of wrote it as a, a sort of cliche, like this is how to write a crappy five minute song, what we would call a, a hook line. And it ended up coming this really popular sort of summer dance hit on Spotify. And, and there you go. But anyway, yeah, so uh, I was kind of doing the music for a bit. Um, and then I uh, started going over to France and playing my music in the French Alps. So I was snowboarding every day. I towed a caravan with me. And I had a little, uh, well, a little dog. I had a, a big dog called Rudy um, and he came with me and uh, we just slept in the caravan, snowboarded every day and then played music in bars. And I just started chatting to people and getting uh, lots of contacts, meeting great people. And um, I did that for about five or so years. And then in the summers, I was kind of using the money that I earned from doing that to learn new skills. And I eventually just got myself into welding and fabricating because I've always uh, enjoyed making things with my hands and uh, I come from a long line of farriers actually believe it or not and oh, so I always wanted to work with metal yeah and uh, so I always wanted to work with metal and so yeah I got into welding and fabrication walked into a workshop and basically said to the guy I'm not after your money or a job I just want to learn this this trade and here's yeah. some of my welding I've done so far and he said well there's a pile of scrap in the corner there if you can produce a weld that I can sell I'll give you a job and, and that's how it went basically and I was working for him for quite a while then eventually the first lockdown happened and the work started to dry up because we were building parts for super yachts and mainly work with stainless steel as a TIG welder. And some of the uh, contractors for super yachts that we were working for had to shut down their factories because people were testing positive and they had like a, an A team and a, and a B team if someone tested positive. And basically it was just affecting this production line of the things that we were making. And because I was the last one in the door, I sort of the first one out. And so I had to go on this job hunt again and then I, I found a new firm and I was doing all this site work on building sites. And that really opened my eyes because I was going around to these houses and they were just decimating woodland and just building um, just thousands and thousands of really poor matchbox houses everywhere. And I thought, bloody hell, I'm contributing to this at the moment. And this is scaring me because... Um, who are these who are these houses for like what, what is this all for um i don't like the quality and i was on the building sites as well and the large majority of people that work on building sites aren't actually english and what i was doing was building staircases so more often than not we would have to remove the temporary staircase that was there and you'd put signs up saying don't come down the staircase but a lot of these people can't even read the sign so that's when i kind of started to get into this place where i thought i could start speaking out about this sort of thing because there's got to be an element of health and safety and whatnot um, and yeah, I started uh, my channel. I basically just used my my YouTube channel that I'd had from the music before and just started speaking about my own personal experiences. And, and I, I always said to myself, look, uh, I never want to um, advocate for, you know, any violence or anything like that. But I just don't want to live in this country where you can't speak your mind. I just want to be able to speak my mind and, and also stand up for my own people. I'm English. That's my ethnicity. Mm. And this is England. And I'm, and I'm going to speak about that. So and, and I could, I'm not an aristocrat or an intellectual or anything. I'm just a welder. And, and I can only speak from that perspective. Wow. There's, there's so much there to talk about. I mean, starting with your time in the Alps, living the dream, snowboarding and making music. I mean, how many of us that 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 belongs to an age that we've almost lost, doesn't it? That, 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 that really, and until, until last year, this would have been the dream of every young man. I'm just gonna, 
I'm going to grow my hair long and just, you know, spend some time out boarding and, oh, God. But you couldn't do that now. I mean, how would you, you couldn't even get on the, on the airplane, you, you, or not without going through this rigorous quarantine procedure. And then, the, can I just ask you briefly about uh, Farrier? Do, is it Farriers who do put shoes on horses or is that blacksmiths? I always forget the... Uh, the Farriers works with horses specifically and with yeah, horseshoes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, you see, I love yeah. that. Because you know, I'm really into horses. And um, yeah, oh, that's great. Uh, but the smell, the horrible smell of burnt hoof when the horses are, are having <laughs> their their shoes replaced. Do, can you do? Can you uh, do horseshoes, or is that not in your skill set? I've never done it, but I, I imagine I probably could. It's something I'd love to try. If there's any blacksmiths listening in who want to give me a shot, I'd, I'd love to come and have a go and uh, kind of rekindle that uh, that part of my lineage. I'd love I'll, that. I bet you. I bet you'd be good. And also, it might become necessary because this new agrarian age that's going to be imposed on us by uh, imposed on us by the Great Reset and stuff will probably cars will be will be um, banned and we'll only have horses. Which actually, I wouldn't mind that that particular detail. So you could you you could be in in demand. It's funny because um, my, I was going to say my great grandfather um, came to London um, specifically to uh, put horses down, to cull the horses because of the introduction of the automobile. So there was all these horses around. Nobody wanted to keep them. They didn't have a purpose anymore. And uh, my dad tells me stories about he was a little boy sitting up on his cart, taking horses to the slaughter, you know, as a five year old boy or whatever in East London. There's a bit of a bit of forgotten history. I mean, I knew that that in the run up to the to the sort of development of the of the automobile, there was this great concern. I think towards the end of the 19th century and the beginning of the 20th century, there was a great concern in in metropolises across the world of how they were going to cope with the massive increase in the amount of horse shit in the streets, because it was a real issue at the time. And I think yeah. there were discussions about what, what, what government intervention can be adopted to, to deal with this problem. But of course, technology solved, solved the issue. The car came in, in, in instead, and, and, but the sad consequence of that was, was horses. You look, by the way, like you could be, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm going to insult you here. You could be in Mumford and Sons almost. <laughs> Which would be, which would be kind of appropriate to that kind of musician sort of pikey rustic um, horse horse thing going on. Anyway, yeah, I definitely. I was going to say I definitely like the outdoor. As I've got older, I, I now own a, a wax gilet. I mean, you just cannot beat these clothes. And, and before the, yeah, the, before the lockdown, I would go into charity shops. And they, what's great about them is it's um, old people really know how to dress practically. So if you want practical clothing, those are the places to go. Um, and I always pick up gilets, nice jackets, hats, things like that. And uh, as an Englishman, it's our bread and butter, isn't it? I've totally gone that way as well, actually. I was just a brief um, foray into um, sartorial corner. I've now realised that the only kind of shirt... I used to wear these kind of floral Paul Smith shirts and they look poncy. Yeah. Particularly a sort of middle-aged man. Middle-aged men, in, 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 they're lovely to look at, they're lovely on the rack, but when you put them on, you just look like a, a middle-aged ponce in a, in a floral shirt. What, what a man needs beyond a certain age, actually, and probably you can start in your, in your... My son looks brilliant in them, much better than me, is this kind of pocket... It's called pocket check. It's like, it's, it's like a smaller version of Tattersall check. And it's just like goes with everything. And I'm wearing this... This Bernard Weatherall kind of shooting, you know, 
sage colored shooting top. I'm really happy in country wear. It's, it's, it's just the best. I think it's proper for a, for an English Englishman. Um, absolutely. Now, I think it's a gentleman's prerogative, absolutely, to, to look a bit sharp all the time. Or as my dad would use to say, you know what, son, it's nothing wrong with looking a bit and he, and he would click the thing. Your, dad, your, yeah. your dad's absolutely right. So tell me, Gosport, that suggests to me that you might be, be have been in the one of the naval branches of the services. Were you, were you a Marine or, were, or in the Navy or not? Yes, I, I started off in the Royal Navy. I, I yeah. wanted to be in the Marines all the time. And uh, I went into the careers office um, and I, I can remember having this conversation because I was supposed to stay behind after school in order to go to college. And I was so anti-school at the time I was like I'm not staying behind after school and I remember coming home and, and uh, my parents were like well what are you going to do then if you're not going to college and they said uh, and I said oh I don't know I'll just I guess I'll just join the army or something and uh, they were like Josh you don't have the discipline for that you can't do that <laughs> you don't realize what you're doing and uh, I went into the careers office I said right what is the hardest one to get into and they <clears throat> and they said well the Royal Marines Commandos course is the longest hardest training in the world so I was like right sign me up but at the time, um, I was boxing. I've always been a boxer. Um, yeah. I love mixed martial arts and things like that. And um, uh, I was weighing in when I was 15 at literally, I think I was about 50 kilos, which is nothing. And you have to be 64 kilos um, to join the Royal Marines because of the training. So they said, what you can do is join the Navy, get a bit of military bearing. And when you're a bit older and heavier, then branch transfer across because the Marines are a branch within the Navy. Um, and that's what I ended up doing. So I did, I did a few years in the Royal Navy, sailed around the world. I was on uh, HMS York for a while, um, did some op tours and uh, got promoted. And then I got recommended for branch transfer to the Marines and went off and did that. Um, so all in all, my service was about uh, six years. Um, and what, what for me, it was one of those things where I really loved it. I don't regret it, but I found it very difficult um, to sort of plan my life. You have to kind of you have to be in there 100 um, percent or nothing. And uh, it was a very difficult transition to come from um, the military back into Sydney Street. And I think that's why a lot of those guys end up homeless. And I've certainly been in some uh, pretty dire situations in my life before as well. Um, uh, it's good, good because just purely because it is such a difficult transition for people to make. Um, but yeah, sorry. How, how, so how, how did you find the, the, um, the, the commando training? I mean, to, to get your Green Beret? Well, it's the hard, hardest thing to do. It's very, very difficult. Um, it's, uh, like I said, the longest, hardest training in the world. But th I think it just gets to a point after a while where you... Um, there's only one person that could kind of kick you off that course or fail that course and that's yourself the whole thing is i suppose is a battle with your own with your own self i always do it like when i'm running now and i think most people could relate to this um in your life where you tend to just have um sort of binary thinking process we have two voices in your head one voice telling you you should do something and one voice telling you you shouldn't and you have to I suppose choose the right voice to listen to and, and keep pushing I, I run all the time and a lot of my videos are filmed whilst I'm running because I think it releases all these endorphins it's very very good for thinking it's the same with walking as well if you're not into running just being outdoors fresh air in the woodland running by the sea or whatever it is you've got um and um I just I just find that um what that does is it teaches you to listen to the right voice and helps you to become more determined as a person and overall it's just really brilliant for your health so that's why my videos are kind of focusing around that i so totally agree with you about everything there i i, I go i do i do about 20 miles a week i'm, I, I'm a bit 
I'm having a relapse of my Lyme disease at the moment. So I'm, I've, I've knocked it on the head for a while, but I, I generally do about 20 miles a week and walking, I think is uh, running is great. Endorphins and stuff. I don't wear, I don't wear headphones. Do you? I, I quite like being left with my own, own thoughts rather than having it, it depends. Um, I, I do. I do sometimes. Yes. Um, but sometimes no. I, I, I am of the of the camp of thinking that listening to music whilst running is a bit cheating. And if you're out walking, listening for headphones, then it's a, it's a dreadful shame. That's wrong. Nature provides. Yeah. Nature provides the soundtrack for your walk and that it's an insult to your very being to, to suggest otherwise. Um, so, yeah, running. Sometimes I do it if I'm going for a particularly arduous run, then I'll, I might have some music playing or whatever. It's a little bit of a cheat. But I also remind well, myself. I have the time. <laughs> no, do you know what? My my music, it's one of those things, if you run quite a lot, you get bored of the same playlist. Yeah. And I've gone through so much. It's quite an eclectic mix of music on my uh, on my phone now. I actually have like a, a Mongolian throat singing on there. It's like uh, all sorts on there to listen to. Yeah, well, it's really good sort of war music. So when you're running, it's quite, uh, it helps you to be quite enthusiastic and keep going, but it helps with the determination of the thing. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll check out. I'll, 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 I'll check out this Mongolian throat music next time I'm out. I'm out for a out for a run. But yeah, walking. I agree. When I'm, I have the best conversations with people when I walk with them. I mean, if I was, if I were ever going to have a sort of business meeting with somebody, I'd want to take them for a five mile walk and just, it just it clears your head and you, and you're you can communicate in a way that you can't sitting around a boardroom table not that I would I would know what a boardroom table look, look like particularly but you know what I mean it's 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 great um yeah and you made that video of course while you were while you were, were running which was which was great I don't know how you can get your breathing right like where you can talk and and run at the same time it's, it's um, commando training no, certainly not. It's been such a long time now since I've left. It would be unfair of me to uh, credit any of my physical attributes to training I did such a long time ago. But uh, I, um, it's one of those things. I think if you run enough, you get like a, a base level pace that you can run at. And um, sometimes I practice just running uphill and holding my breath for as long as I can. It's very good to improve your VO2 max and uh, make your muscles more efficient at working without having uh, you know, as much oxygen as they would like. I think training in general is about taking your body outside of its comfort zone. Once you do that, obviously it then tries to change to become better and that's the whole point. So there's always these little tricks you can do. And so the videos help me um, vent my uh, frustrations at the world, but also they, they help me on a physical level by improving my VO2 max as well. So before we move on, to, before we move on to um, uh, politics and the, and the shit show in which we find ourselves, when you were in the Marines, did you did you do any tours of duty abroad? I've done um, Optelic 11 before. I did some uh, like operations like anti-piracy and bits and bobs like that. Um, what, uh, Mali yeah. pirates, things like that? Yeah, yes, bits and bobs like that. Um, I was in Opgina as well, uh, which was like an evacuation of British citizens from, I don't remember, Israel or Lebanon back in 2006. Oh, yeah, yeah. So it's a, doing a bit of bits and bobs, really. I was very lucky, but because I, I was so into boxing, I spent a bit of time with the boxing squad doing that as well. So um, oh. I, don't, I, I don't really know. 
I um I was much more into the sport than the kind of military side of it. I have to say. Yeah. Um, and if you are um, a young person watching or a person that's always thought about joining the forces and you play sport, it's really the best place to be because it doesn't matter if you join the RAF or the Navy, Army, whatever it may be. And um, they always have uh, really good programs of people that are interested in sport. And uh, if you're a good rugby player or football player or whatever, even skiing, uh, motorcycle racing, whatever it is you may be, they, they tend to have. Uh, you know, quite good uh, programs for that. I don't oh, know what this... it's like now. And when I was in, um, Theresa May was the Home Secretary and uh, kind of got to the point where she was making lots of people redundant and they were having, uh, there was lots of MOD cutbacks, basically. So yeah. I think when I when I left, it was a good time to get out. I think you're probably right. I mean, everything I've, I've read recently suggests that the armed forces have been cut right to the bone. In fact, probably oh. into the bone. You're underpaid. Don't even get me started about it. It's got this uh, advert, I don't know if you've seen it, where there's this uh, guy, this Muslim guy, who stops in the middle of a patrol to pray, and everyone's just kind of like, right, we better stop what we're doing. It's like, what? that doesn't have a... Like, you're there to, you're there to be a soldier. Um, but the, you th- when you think about it, objectively speaking, um, it's very strange that um, a part of the part of the parcel of the training now a huge element of that is this diversity training and I I have to often ask myself why if this is something that should occur so naturally to people why are we so heavily being um you know trained to be more tolerant of each other and tolerant is a word that I've grown to detest as of late because it effectively just means put up with things that you wouldn't normally put up with. That, that's what tolerance really yes. means. Um, and, I, and I hate these politicians who sit there with a smirk on their face as they dilute and subvert our English culture um, and uh, call it diversity and that, that is a positive thing. And they'd call people like me um, a, uh, a supremacist. People called me a supremacist before. That's simply not the case. I think it's a very supremacist idea to think that you could defeat a virus and that you could lift the entire globe out of world poverty and then keep it forever that way. Those are totalitarian supremacy ideas, not what I'm saying. I just love my own people. And just because I love my own people doesn't necessarily mean then I hate everybody else. My ideology about um, peoples is that I, I think that everybody should have the right to their own homeland and those people should determine the future of their own homelands. You know, if I go on holiday to India, I would like to see Indian culture. You know, if I go to New Zealand, you know, I want to see the Maori and I want to see that. And when people come to England on holiday, I'd like them to see English culture. But if you went into London or Birmingham, Luton, Rotherham, Bradford, all these places now, it doesn't look to me like England anymore. And I think it's a dreadful shame because we really are great people. Yeah, it's 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 funny. You, I, I've heard myself saying that over the years and it really oughtn't to need stating. It ought to be so obvious what's, What's not to like about countries having their own special identity? I mean, you're right. I, I love going to India and seeing all the all the, the temples and the and the the the, the statues to you know to Ganesh or whatever and, and the, the sadhu. Yeah, I, I agree. And what's really frightening is um is why would you want to destroy that? So when you think about it, 
diversity kills diversity that's what it does when you localize it in such a way that multiculturalism has um you're basically forcing a, a, a lots of different people all on top of one another with opposing ideologies different ideologies and basically creating these indoctrination programs these diversity courses stuff to try and teach people to get on with, with each other mm-hmm. i think there is such a thing um, which have a scientific basis as in-group preference i think people have in-group preference there's absolutely nothing wrong with that it doesn't mean we can't live alongside each other as neighbors you know and and work together and it doesn't mean that all these groups should be constantly fighting each other but i think um what's happened is like the united nations migration compact for example when you look at that thing it really does just suggest the fact that uh, of like a almost like a mongrelization of europe and, and we're told regularly that we are that we don't have a culture that we aren't really a people and i hear this a lot you think oh especially because i've chosen the the white dragon um, which is a flag of our ancestors. And people say, oh, what culture? What ancestors? You are a bunch of mongrels. You're, you're, you're this tribe. You're that tribe and blah, blah, blah. And I just find that bizarre that these, and most of these people are, are, are white English people, by the way, you know, they're well, yeah. saying these things. Yes. Oh, it's, um, it's definitely which, university educated, white, middle-class people probably got jobs in working for the government in something like environmental consultancy or sustainability or or diversity or, or, or HR. Yeah. It's just, just some kind of department, which is some sort of non-job. So they're secure because they're, they're, you know, the public sector is, is safe and they can mouth all these platitudes that they've picked up at, at uni probably, and which they think makes them better, better people. But I'd say that you're more representative of where most of us actually are outside the, the sort of the, the media, the legacy media echo chamber where where these views are banded about as if they are representative i don't think they are i think you are much more i mean tell me about your how old are you by the way uh, i'm 31 31 okay so your circle of friends i mean presumably you've got friends <laughs> not, not anymore no i uh it's interesting you should say that because i've met lots of new friends since i became sort of politically active or talking yeah. about my political opinions I think a lot of people are scared to do that and when you do that in a public uh, sphere especially put your face on there you attract um, uh, a certain group of people people that are quite like oh it's really great I, I mean I've got in touch with people um, with people who've got in touch with me that are it's quite heartbreaking stories like for example people at university who are like yeah I'm quite proud Englishman but I wouldn't dare say that in front of my friends at school because otherwise I'll be ostracized you know during their studies and this happens at universities so universities it was my impression of university was supposed to be a place for thinking and debating and discussing ideas but it seems to me that now after this long march through the institutions we have created this vacuum or sorry this this kind of like um this echo chamber sorry Mm-hmm. Um, where if you have the wrong ideas, then you're going to be um, ostracised. And interestingly, um, my missus at the moment, she's, uh, she's a nurse, but she's retraining um, to be a paramedic. Interesting to go back to university at these current times. Yeah. Uh, we can talk a bit more of that in a second. But before she started the course, um, someone had got in touch with her about something she'd put on Instagram, which was about uh, migrants coming over in uh, rubber dinghies. And my, my missus is not really that politically minded or whatever. Yeah. She just thinks that people shouldn't be coming into Britain illegally. But the university called her in for a formal meeting about this post that she'd done before she'd even started the university course um, and gave her a, a an informal warning, which is now permanently on her, on her no. record. And it, 
Yes, and, and I just think it is disgusting the way the establishment treats people. And, um, and this is the argument that they would use. They would, they would, they would demonise people. I, I've met um, doctors that aren't actually allowed to practice anymore because they've said or done something on social media, which the establishment doesn't agree with, that's just very slightly outside of the Overton window, perhaps. And it's now affected them. This is why we have now this police state with the thought police. So before the coronavirus happened, people were getting knocks on doors for, th- for saying things like, trans women aren't women on Twitter, you know, and actually being arrested and detained and interviewed or whatever for a few hours. Posey Parker is a good example of that. Um, And I just find it's bizarre. And this is why I'm doing this march because I don't want to live in a police state anymore. They could create these rules around me. I don't care. It's not going to change. My rules exist in here. And my parents told me when I was a youngster, they said, you could do what you want in life. As long as you're not hurting other people, then be free you know, and, and do, the, you know, do what you feel is right and be true to yourself. And uh, I, I just look at the data that we have for coronavirus at the moment. Okay. And I look at my reality around me and I've made my own decision about it. And that's why I'm marching because I, I want everybody else to have those same, same feelings and, and strike out like that. Yes. Well, let's talk about your march and let's talk about the, the, the white dragon. Was that, was the white dragon the flag of, of, of Wessex or where's it from? There's, um, well, basically, the, the, it's, it's almost a folklorian symbol because the, the, the legend has it there's a, a red dragon under Wales and a white dragon living under England. And they had this fight and a white dragon prevailed. And if you look at the times of uh, King Harold's, for example, um, uh, before 1066, the Welsh actually went and chopped off the head of their own king and gave it to Harold Godwinson because they were so impressed by this guy. And that really unified our nation. And I, and I don't think that England would be what it is today had it not been for the Welsh longbowmen. So we needed these huge, powerful, burly men to fire these bows. These long bows are made of ancient yew, um, you know, <laughs> a bit of Rudyard Kipling, yew of old and churchyard mould that breedeth the mighty bow. And, uh, you know, they dug up some of these old um, uh, longbow archers and their bone density was like 20% denser than anybody else's at the time, yep. all on one side. And I believe that they were, about, they were able to fire these arrows at a, at a pace of, I think, 16 to 30 uh, arrows a minute, which even today's best archers can't um, imitate. They can't do it. These were a special breed of people. And those longbows did us a lot of favours at Agincourt um, and things like that. Um, so really interesting part of our history, but the dragons come into it. Um, the, the white dragon was a, a flag of, of Harold. Um, and uh, a lot of our f- uh, flags have derived from that. You see the three lions from Richard I, um, Henry III, I believe, had the, 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 the dragon. Um, and interestingly, uh, now in, in more modern times, it's, uh, it's all about St. George slaying the dragon. But I actually think um, uh, the dragon was an important part of our, our ethnic heritage and, and where we come from and um, where the English people come from. And that's why I've chosen to fly it. As, like I said in my video, it's more of a, a distress signal to other Englishmen um, that uh, something is awry and um, it's time for us to do something. It, it totally is awry. And I think you've chosen a great, a great symbol. So tell me about your plan. You're going to walk from... John O'Groats to London to John O'Groats, is, is that right? Or? No, I'm going from the south coast of England. So from somewhere I can see the Isle of Wight. Yes. Um, and then just I'm walking up to Hadrian's Wall. Um, I have my own personal reasons for choosing Hadrian's Wall, but I wanted somewhere very 
uh, very far north, so I could I could walk the, almost the entirety of the country um, with that symbol and then wave it when I got there. Um, it's a it's a really long and arduous journey, and um, I'm not going to actually announce uh, when and where I'm doing it or what route I'm going to take. And I've got some close friends of mine um, that are busy uh, as we speak, um, helping me plan the route and things like that. And uh, the, the trouble is, is that this, my videos gain so much attention now that I believe there'll be a lot of people out there, including the state and the police and stuff that will try and stop me um, from doing it. So I, I kind of uh, yeah, but almost have to make my up there. But at the same time, what about if we want to join you? What about, I mean, surely a lot of us are going to be wanting to, 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 to walk legs of the journey with you. My worry there is that um, I would love it. I don't want to do it alone. I'll be honest with you. It'd be nice to have some company. It's a long old way. But my worry would be that if people march with me, it's 350 miles as the crow flies. It's a long, long march. And um, there's only a certain group of people that probably would be up to that. And of those people, what I would fear is that the police would just turn up, would be easily recognisable and just start arresting people. And it would, I, I believe our system works very much like an immune system. So basically every time something rises up in rebellion to that immune system, it creates antibodies and then stamps that thing out. Yeah. Um, so if we create a movement, even if there's two or three thousand people that want to do this march, the state will respond accordingly. It would be much easier um, for one man to dart up his way up the country or for singular uh, individuals to make their way to one place from different corners of, the, of this nation and all meet and do that. If you, you, if you move as one body, then you run the risk of uh, being met with another body, which has got more power uh, than we do. Well, it's certainly true that the police are becoming more and more, we, we do live in a, in a police state, as you say, uh, they're becoming more and more draconian. Uh, you saw that appalling footage, I'm sure, of police, Greater Manchester police, beating up a Polish guy who'd opened his, who'd, who, for the crime of, of, of opening his cafe. Um, that shocked me. I've, I've, I've seen the, I, and I've heard of, of anti-lockdown rallies being brutalised by the police in the way that Black Lives Matter and, and Extinction Rebellion never were because they were pushing at an open door because, because the establishment is now woke and they, and they want to push the woke agenda. But if you protest against arbitrary government power uh, being used to kind of keep us all like serfs, then the government doesn't like that. So I can see, I can see your concerns, but I just wonder, I mean, you, you say you're doing your thing. Um, are, you gonna, are you going to make a video of it or what? How are you gonna? Yeah, I'll, so I, I, uh, I'm basically going to be um, taking, uh, you know, like my Bergen with me and a uh, sleeping bag, bivy bag, roll mat, that kind of thing. And just basically dotting it as I go and uh, using wood blocks and other things like that. And um, for cover, and I will be um, documenting my journey and then I will release the, uh, uh, the footage and stuff after the fact. Um, so I have uh, people that are helping me that are going to resupply me as I go and things like that up the country. Surprisingly, there's more Northerners um, that are willing to help me than, than Southerners. Um, so that doesn't Southerners surprise listening. me. It yeah. doesn't surprise yeah. me. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, me it's been, don't you think this whole experience has been quite revealing 
um, not just of individuals. For example, I'm about the only conservative commentator left. I mean, if, 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 you, if, if you want to describe me as a conservative, I'm not sure you would. But I mean, almost all of them have, have, have fled the field and shit the bed on the subject of, of what's happening, you know, not just in America, where they denied that the election was stolen. I mean, you know, despite the copious evidence. Uh, but over here, the, the whole, the, the fact that a kind of bad flu year has been turned into a, 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 an excuse for totalitarian domination of, of a once free country. It's extraordinary. Um, but well, also- never let a, uh, I was gonna say, never let a good crisis go to waste. And the Tories have certainly done a good job of that, haven't they? They have. I mean, all those people, you know, I used to occasionally over the years describe myself as a, as a Tory or as a conservative. And I think they're just a bunch of crooks. They're, they're only yeah. in It's extraordinary. Um, I mean, and, uh, I, I could uh, I could talk for hours about how I how I loathe the Tories, but I could also talk for for hours about how I loathe the the Labour Party. What people need to understand um, is that we live in a political false dichotomy. The left and right is no longer relevant to modern times, and the Conservatives conserve nothing. They conserve nothing. They don't care about our culture or preserving any of our landmarks, or our statues and things like that. Otherwise, they wouldn't have let Black Lives Matter run rampant, pulling them down. Yes. And um, they don't care about our history and our heritage and our culture. They're not teaching it in our schools. Lots of people messaged me about the flag of the white trappings. They didn't know what it was. And, and it's a Saxon flag. We're, we're, like, people from East Anglia don't know what Anglians are, Angles and Saxons and Engels and Jutes and all this kind of stuff. They don't know because they're not taught it and there's no onus on their own heritage. Because I think the establishment is scared of Englishmen unifying under their ethnicity. That would be terrifying for them. Because once we did that, we would understand exactly where we come from, what we're capable of. And that would pose a big, big threat to their narratives, to, to what they're trying to achieve. And I honestly think that's what's happening. This democracy that we live in to me is more of a delusion more of an illusion of control it's an illusion because our governments capitulate to the world banks and then we have to beg our governments for the scraps afterwards you know look at our banking system the whole banking system is designed using a language that you're not supposed to understand but just look at it for what it is fractional reserve banking Look at what that is and tell me that that's morally right, that it's right. Look at what's happened um, in, uh, in the stock markets recently with the GameStop. It's one rule for them and another rule for you. And then yeah. now is the time to stand up and say, no more. We'll change it. We can reform it. We've done greater things. Where I live on the south coast of England, there were teenage boys racing Spitfires with Merlin engines 350 miles an hour up and down the channel for a laugh. Planes that were so good that this government mounted machine guns on them and used to fight the Germans. You name a 20-year-old lad now that could come up with the idea like a Spitfire. Yeah. Our culture has been completely ruined and, sub and subverted by these people. They are our enemies. It's time for us to wake up and realise that. Yeah. Well, I, I, I totally agree with you. What, uh, what, what do you think is going on? I mean, what, what, why, how do you explain the last, the last 12 months? Well, what a big question. That I, is. Sorry, uh, sorry. It's, um, it's one of those things uh, where it's just, just so many moving parts to this machine. Yeah. Lots of different things. Um, it's things like um, uh, transfer of wealth. Um, we've mentioned the word uh, totalitarian, these draconian rules, this, this way of controlling people. The biggest tool that's been used is fear. Um, and I'm starting to see that fear spill out onto the streets in the form of people doing this sort of thing, 
when they come near me and people pushing themselves up against the fence or when I'm out running, I've actually come across women who've pushed their prams with children in them out into the roads to get around me without really paying much attention to the traffic because they're more scared of, of uh, getting close to someone who's quite clearly healthy and running along the road, mm-hmm. you know, and endanger, the, endanger their own child. Um, so what do I think is happening? Everything's moving toward this technocracy, this automated system, this new fourth industrial revolution. Um, like you look at Klaus Schwab and the World Economic Forum, where he's saying things like the year is 2030 and you owe nothing, but don't worry, because you'll be happy. And I just wonder how he would feel if we all turned up at his house and took away all of his material possessions and said, well, aren't you happy? Aren't you happy? These people are part of an elite clique right? They're part of an elitist group of people. And a lot of the people that control this world, we don't even know their names. Mm. The people we know about are the ones that we're supposed to know about. And I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I just look at the data for what it is. But you can look at simple things like, I'm sure lots of people that are watching this might have seen that video where it's all the different news um, anchors from around the world, world reading the same story off of the same prompt, the t- same teleprompter, the same sheet, you know. Um, and that to me proves uh, in itself, that there is um, a, a, a global narrative here. There is, I think, what the coronavirus is, is accelerationism for them. And it's the boiling of the frog. Um, and sooner or later, that frog's either going to hop out of the pan, do something, or it's going to die. We, we are that frog and we've got, we've got to stop it, step up and stop it. Our, our rights um, are inalienable. Our freedoms and rights in this country are inalienable. It is our government's responsibility to protect them, not take them away from us. This is, this is their responsibility. It's the same with the police, as you mentioned earlier. A lot of the police today, they don't even understand things, simple things like the, the appeals principles. They couldn't understand the law. And it got to the point where you couldn't even use common law anymore. You know, these, whatever, you, whatever you come up with, these people will legislate against it and look at some of these laws they've been passing under the table under, the, under this distraction of coronavirus. You know, take, you, you know uh, creating laws where they can remove you from your house, remove biological matter from your body, you know, um, detect, forcefully detain you without reason. I mean, that, that is crazy. What... What awful times we live in. And I've got family and I worry about their future. Um, you know, millions yeah, of you've people got, across this country. A one-year-old, is it? Yeah. How? Let I've me just, just, just change my, that my, light. Is it the light's doing an annoying thing and people will get epileptic fits? Well, they won't, but they'll be annoyed by it. <laughs> no worries. See, when I'm really successful, I'll have a, I'll have a studio crew doing this kind of shit for me. Um, sorry, you I'm were sure saying you will, yeah. you've got you've got a, a, a child on the way. Am I right in thinking? And you've got a, a, a toddler now. Yes, yeah, so we found out. Um, yeah, we found out a few weeks ago. My missus is pregnant again, and we're we're really over Congrats. the moon about that. Um, thank you. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I, there's there's lots of people across the country that are probably in a similar boat to me, where they're thinking. Right. I don't know what the future holds. And perhaps if I just wear this mask and do as I'm told, then maybe yeah. this will go away. But this is one of these situations where it all started about flattening the curve for two weeks. We're just going to take the pressure off of the NHS. And this man stood up in front of this, com- uh, this country, Boris Johnson, and said we were going to lose loved ones. And we were going to be using ice rinks as emergency morgues and all this stuff. And people just yeah. bought it up. And here we are almost a year later. Um, 
And uh, the, the numbers are shockingly low, the mortality rate. So, so low that our, our establishment and the media have, have done their very best efforts to bolster the numbers and to manipulate the figures, all to create fear. So the fundamental question is, you cannot deny whatever side of the political spectrum you're on or whatever your thoughts are, that the media has been complicit in making this, uh, um, of creating this nation that is scared and this nation of fear, fear of each other, you know, our communities have been fractured, decimated, diluted. Everyone's living in fear. There's only one useful tool. Uh, that fear is a useful tool for one thing, and that is control. And that is exactly what they are implementing at the moment, a complete and utter um, impenetrable, impregnable system of control to automate your life yeah. so that you could be happy. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. crazy. Uh, I... I totally agree with your analysis and i i hope that this is going to strike a cry there are lots of people out there like us i mean you know just talking to you i feel right at home and i've i've some of the i met some other people the other day uh in one of the great reopening groups have you have you joined any of those um yes yes, yes i've been in a couple yeah and these are just quite a lot of them have not been, had their brains ruined by by uni i mean i think i'm I think I'm the, about the only person of my generation, my university generation, who's emerged with his with his intellectual faculties, his critical faculties intact. So many of them have just. Mm. I think I I wonder actually. I, I I'm I'm sure this is a kind of this is what Bismarck would have thought of the purpose of education. Bismarck did, after all, sort of invent modern education. It's designed to 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 train the populace to becoming compliant citizens, isn't it? And, and universities mm, are there. I, what's to... interesting, uh, I was going to say, what's interesting about what you just said is uh, I, I actually get quite um, a few emails and uh, uh, correspondence with um, people. And the large majority of people that are that would feel comfortable in a conversation with the likes of myself and you um, is uh, they're university educated people. They are people in positions of like, um, I don't know, there, there's doctors, uh, train conductors, uh, you know, pilots, all sorts of people like I've had marine biologists get in touch with me that, you know, scientists, people who are truth seekers, you know, and actually what I think the establishment has done very successfully is creating a subservient class of midwittery. It's the midwits that are compliant the very stupid people at the bottom get it they can see it it's everywhere yeah, that's why football, that's why football hooligans are always labeled as nazis and far-right nutcases because they can just see it they don't need to be intellectually um you know um what do you call it like they don't need to be um like extremely clever to point out um, you know it's like you do, sometimes you it takes an idiot to point out the obvious can i just and pause you there the, josh because i you so we don't lose that brilliant point you made um, I've noticed this, that there is there has been a move by the government, and this, this predates coronavirus, to rebrand people, sort of free-thinking people, people who believe in England, believe in their, who are proud of their culture, to rebrand them far right in order to, to use the oppressive force of the state to crush them, to crush any nascent political movements, kill them, kill them at birth. Uh, Tommy Robinson being a, being a classic example. I mean, see how they singled him out for destruction because they didn't like yeah. what he represented. They didn't like that impulse. And it's not about racism. It's about national pride. And they don't like that. 
Yeah, I think a lot of people nowadays are very scared of being called racist. And, yeah. and I, for one, am not one, of, not one of these people, not any longer. I don't care. I'm, I'm, um, I'm uh, a race realist. You know, I, uh, I understand the things like in-group preference and stuff like that. And as I said to you earlier in the podcast, just because um, I'm proud of who I am and my ethnicity doesn't mean that I want conflict with other ethnicities and other racial groups on the planet. But it seems to me, if you want to know about white privilege, look at the things that um, the black minority ethnic people are allowed to do in this country, which white people are not. You see, here's the, here's the clever trick. Black and minority ethnic means anybody but white. So when they say things like we need more justice for black and minority ethnic people, what they actually mean is we need more justice for people who aren't white. And they've collectivized under this universal banner, but we are not allowed to. And for example, if a person, which we've seen during BLM, marches down the street in what could only be described as a militia, shouting things like black power, I look at these things and think, Crikey, imagine if I did that with my friends and shouted white power. There's your privilege. Yeah. So white privilege right there. You can't, there are things that, uh, that BAME people can say in this country which you are not allowed to, and there's your privilege. Um, I hate to say it, Josh, but you could be you, you could be one of the the politicians of the future to lead us out of this mess. I mean, I, I, I think I, I bet you don't want to be a politician, but I, I, I certainly hope not. If it boils down to me, I'll be one of those positions where I'm like, how on earth has this come down to me trying to do it? I don't know what I'm doing. I'm not a politician. But then again, um, you know, I think uh, the competency of a lot of people in the, uh, a lot of the MPs we have at the moment, I think, do, do you agree when you were younger, you used to just think you'd have these problems and you used to just think, well, there'll be somebody ticking away in the background resolving this issue or someone's going to come up with an idea to get rid of totally. this. And as you get older, you just realise these people just aren't out there. People aren't actually trying to solve these issues and uh, it just keeps going further and further, spiralling out of control. But my whole life, but my whole... Um, journey in life has been a kind of father christmas doesn't exist realization that you you it's this system that you trusted you thought well mps okay so you get the odd wrong one, but basically they're there to serve serve their constituents and serve the country the country and the law english common law it's one of our it's one of our greatest achievements and and they're going to see justice that's their that's their imperative they don't they're not they're not biased and all these things have been shown to be a business. It's there to create value. It's for the consumer. It's there to, you know, by providing better value than other companies, so they gain market share and 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 they generate profits and they generate value for shareholders. All this stuff is just not true. It's all been taken away from us. Um, uh, so Absolutely. And uh, the, the onus is on the individual now in capitalism. Um, and that's that's the worrying thing, because if you become a powerful individual, either with capital through wealth or influence or whatever it may be, all you're doing is reinforcing this idea of um, uh, of separatism between the classes. Um, and I don't think that that works. And here's the dangerous thing. If you lean more uh, politically to the right and have more conservative values, um, to talk about ideas like collectivism and things like that is a very dangerous thing to do because you're kind of verging on this 
um, commun communism and socialism or building these communes and stuff like that. I've always been very interested in self-sufficiency as an individual out in the woods, as an outdoorsman, and also collectively in small groups. And I think back to um, times in England um, where we used to live in these very small uh, groups, like you, you would have like villages down the road from me is, a, is, a, is an old Tudor village. And it's really beautiful down there as a war memorial. But they've got all these new buildings going up. And I, and I walk down there sometimes and I think, Everything I need to know about what's wrong with this country is right here in this village for me to see. I'm walking past a cottage right now that's called Blacksmith's Cottage. So uh, presumably, at once upon a time, a blacksmith would have been able to afford to live there, mm. you know. And now it's a three and a half million pound cottage, and I would never have the I would never have the opportunity opportunity to live there. And I would think if that blacksmith back in the day, he was probably the only blacksmith in that village, and so he could charge a wage, right? If he charges people too much money, they won't use him and he'll go out of business, right? And if he didn't, um, ev well, everyone would think he was a prick, you know, and he'd have to live amongst a small group of people where much everyone thought he was a prick. And so these kind of little village communities probably worked really, really well because everybody knew each other. You, the crime rate was extremely low. People used to, I mean, myself, I grew up in the 90s. I was born in 89. I grew up in a council estate and everyone used to leave their front doors open. The parents used to natter in the front gardens and we'd play football on the field. Right now, the field is a bloody car park. I don't know anyone. They're not council houses anymore. They've all been bought up and they're worth well, just under half a million pounds, I think, something like that for a council house that was built in the 40s or 50s for, for very little. You know, this is this is one of the biggest problems here. I, I honestly don't think uh, that. Uh, the capitalism is the answer for us it's it has no it, there's no control it's it requires constant growth and that's become part of a problem we need to find a system to control it and firstly i think we need to defeat this cronyism that has infected it um yeah. there's a huge amounts of cronyism i know i don't know what your politics are on economics and i'm not an uh, yeah an economist. i'm, I'm um, slightly i I, I think we need to distinguish between capitalism and, and, and crony capitalism. I mean, apart from anything else, capitalism yeah. is actually, it's a Marxist term. It's not, it's, it, 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 it's loaded in itself. I think what we need to talk mm. about is free markets. I think free, genuinely free markets are a good thing because as I, I suggested mm. before, it, businesses compete against one another to provide the best value for the consumer. And that's good for everyone. And, and, and failing companies go under, you know, it's what Schumpeter called, creative destruction. So I don't think free market capitalism is a problem, but we haven't got free market capitalism. That's, that's, that's the real problem. Um, but anyway, we, we, can, we can talk about that another time. Josh, you've been absolutely brilliant. Um, and uh, you're going to strike a chord with so many people. So thank you for, thank you. It's, it's great hearing somebody so articulate. There are all these people out there who don't appear in the media, who yet can really, who know what's going on. And thank goodness for that. Um, if people want to support your, what, what, what are you calling it? Your, your march, your, your... The March for Freedom. The March for Freedom. So I think you've set up a, 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 a crowdfunder or something for it? I mean, I have. That wasn't my intention. Um, but um, a, a close friend of mine it basically advised me otherwise. He said, look, if people want to give you money, then you should let them. You're obviously without work at the moment and there will be costs um, to doing this much. So if people do want to vol uh, volunteer some of their money, then you should let them do that, especially if you come into legal complications and ended up needing legal advice and things like that. It might be quite helpful. Um, so I have set something up if people did want to donate um, and they can find that on my Twitter, which is at Remedy Sounds. Also, my, my Telegram um, 
is uh, Lionheart England, um, and you can find me on there. Um, I did. I don't know what you're like for time, but I did prepare a short, a short little speech that I would have liked to put on here, um, if you'd allow me a couple of yeah, minutes. Yeah. Why okay. not? Why not? You go for it, Josh. Excellent. Uh, when you stop respecting your history and remembering your forebears, you cease to respect yourself. Remember that you have a debt of honour. If somebody died so that you could be free, or if somebody worked like a dog or suffered like a slave so that you could live in a civilised world, then you owe those men a debt of honour. You might never fully repay it, and neither with your children, but you can do nothing but good in trying. And what could be more beautiful and noble than being the first wave of the movement, the first volunteers that paved the way to victory? So I say rebel. Rebel against being treated like robots or chattel. Rebel against being just a number or statistic. Rebel against starvation wages, the sale of our sovereignty and the censorship of our protests. Your own personal rebellion is your duty and your right. This country belongs to us and nobody else. We're not going to give it away, not for free and not for any price. And what about you sat at home now? Have you come out and stood shoulder to shoulder with your brothers and sisters yet? Are you with us? And if not, why not? Don't deal with evil. Fight it everywhere you find it. They are monsters and they deserve it. When you look at the statues and read the stories of the greatest men of our history who've made Britain so great, who did their part and more in her time of need, remember this, that you live in such a magnificent time where you are surrounded by enemies. So you cannot miss. All you have to do is strike out. It is our turn. Britain is made up of great nations, great people on great land. It has nothing to do with the state. We exist despite them, not because of them. Most men are living well below their energy or potential. You have more to give and there is more that you can achieve. So put more work into the movement who is supposed to save Britain for you. No one is going to save Britain for you. If you are ever bored, you know then that you are not in love. A man in love will do anything. The subject of his love will occupy his mind in every unfilled moment, and he will constantly find new and creative ways to show this. Do you love Britain? Do you love your family? Do you love your people? Because I do. That's fantastic. I so agree with you. Well done. Nice one. Thank you. That's really good. I'm glad you said that, Josh. Um, um, you struck a chord. Well, um, thank you for listening, everyone. Um, do support um, Josh's crowdfunder and remember if you, if you like my podcast and support me on on patreon or subscribe star um thank you very much and yeah keep fighting the fight josh thanks a lot thank you james thanks for okay. having me i appreciate it thanks everyone <laughs>